Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Hey everyone, uh, I'm Pastor Mark of the Valley Church. Uh, so glad you're with us today. Today is our sixth and final week of our series on Revelation. But before I dive into that, I want to tell you about a cool project the Valley Church is doing this next month, starting today, actually. We are partnering with the Lincoln Community Center in Troy, Ohio, for their backpack program uh, in conjunction with their fall bash as school starting here in about a month. And so the goal is that all these kids, last year it was five to 600 kids, get a backpack full of school supplies. That on day one of school, they are, they are just like everyone else. Every single one of them is set and ready to go with you know, paper and with pencils and with crayons and markers, you name it. And so you can see a supply list that will pop up on the screen for you to check out. Our hosts will give you a link where you can go to an Amazon shopping list that the Lincoln Center's already set up for you. And here's the deal. We as the Valley Church want to supply everything that they need this year. And so you with our eFamily, our online church, whether you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube today, uh, you can participate because you can go right to that link and pick up whatever supplies, whatever you can do to help out. And then uh, our on-site folks and those who live locally are going to do the same. So we just believe in not just talking and singing about the things of Jesus. We're going to do the things that Jesus told us to do. And one of those is to make sure that every kid going to school this year is, is set and ready and not lacking a single thing. Well, as we continue this series and or wrap up this series today, um, we start with this. Bill Gates uh, dies and he goes to heaven. A hypothetical, of course. He, he dies and he goes to heaven, or he goes and he shows up with St. Peter. And St. Peter says, Bill, we're not sure what to do with you. There's a group who wants you to stay in heaven because uh, you have put a computer into every home. But there's another group that believes that you should go to hell because and spend eternity in hell because of Windows Vista. And so he said, uh, we've just determined, Bill, uh, we're going to give you the choice whether heaven or hell is your destination. So he takes them on a tour of, of hell, and it's not anything like Bill ever thought it would be. There are beautiful cottages, uh, beautiful lakes. It's just, you know, scene after scene of just beautiful things. And then he takes them to heaven, St. Peter does, and uh, there's harps, people on clouds, and, it, and it, again, it's in a bummer way. It's not what Bill had thought it would be. So he chooses um, hell. And shortly, uh, about two weeks later, Peter goes down to, uh, to visit Bill, and he finds him chained to a flaming wall with demons torturing him, to which he says, this isn't the hell that I saw, Gates cries out. No, Peter said, that is their marketing demo, but many of those features are expected soon. What if the version of heaven you have heard of or believe in is not the heaven that is truly heaven? What if you find out what heaven is like and you really then don't even want to go there? I don't know if you've ever read C.S. Lewis' book, The Great Divorce, but in The Great Divorce, he tells the story of a group of people living in hell who take a bus tour of heaven. And as they discover, at any point along the way, they can choose to leave the tour and stay in heaven. They, they get a second chance. This is unprecedented stuff. Surprisingly, most of the tourists from hell despise heaven and want to flee 
back to hell. It's too bright in heaven, it's too colorful, and it's too pure for them. It is so real it hurts. It's like sunshine after walking out of a dark movie theater. And what makes heaven so horrible for them is that God is there. They want to return to the shadows as far away from God as possible. During the latter part of the first century, uh, the emperors were were running Rome. And in uh, about A.D. In about AD 81, Domitian became the emperor of Rome. And Domitian took the evilness and the destruction of all the other emperors combined and and took it to a whole different level. Under Domitian's reign, thousands upon thousands of Christ followers were killed. Just Just horrible things, slaughter after slaughter. And then the kicker is that he demanded to be worshiped like all the other gods. He even demanded that his wife refer to him as my Lord and my God. Uh, I tried that with my wife this past week, and so I just want to let you know that I am in need of housing, or if anyone has a car I can sleep in. (laughs) Just kidding. Guys, I would not recommend trying that little experiment. In fact, Domitian believed that he was a God on earth and that he would bring universal peace and universal salvation. However, Domitian had a problem. His problem was this. There was a group of people who were having none of this. There was a group of people who were not going to say that Domitian is God. There was a group of people who were not going to bow down to God. And that group of people were the first century Christians. They were going to have nothing of this. And so he thinks if he can take the leader out of this little movement, this Christian movement, then he can solidify his role in his reign. So he sends this old, frail little man who's in his 90s by this time, the Apostle John, to the island of Patmos. And it's in the, at the island of Patmos, as we've learned throughout this, that John receives these visions after visions of what God is doing in the first century and then what he's going to do throughout history. And so if you've missed any of the weeks prior, I'd really encourage you to go check those out. But the last vision that, Paul, that John receives is, is recorded in Revelation chapters 21 and chapters 22. And in this final vision, John describes what is revealed to him as the culmination of every, everything. And the end of all things and the end of this world as we know it. And he tells us that Satan's going to be thrown into a lake of fire. And as we discussed last week, that there will be a final judgment And we all will stand in front of God and there will be uh, accountability for our sins and if we haven't repented. But finally, he describes uh, and he sees this in vivid detail and he relays this. And we have to remember this. We can't forget this. He's sharing this with real people at a real time in human history going through real pain and suffering under Demetrius. And he says this. This is chapter 1 of verse Uh, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 21, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Did you see that? The heaven that exists now, the earth that exists now, will be wiped away. God is going to make a new one of each. Now, this next part of the vision is kind of surprising in verse 2. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So important. Now, heaven is not somewhere else. 
Heaven is a place where we're going to live for all of eternity here on earth. It's not some other place we escape to. It's not some other dimension that we go to. God is going to set up his rule and his reign forever in this place, in this new heaven and new earth. Now, the question as you're reading this, I don't know if you had the same question I did, but why is he talking about prepared as a bride? Why the image of a bride in this vision that he receives? Well, a bride represents someone who is dearly loved, right, by her husband, someone who is to be proud of, someone more precious to that husband than anyone else on the face of this earth. In fact, the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ, which means that all of us who are authentic, authentic followers of Jesus were his bride. Now, guys, don't get messed up by this. It's, a, it's the imagery, it's the metaphor of what he means here. See, this is so fascinating. Don't lose this don't lose this point. I just got said the bride represents something wonderful, something one of a kind, something just that that there is no equal to to that bridegroom, that groom waiting for his bride. And so if you're watching today and you don't think highly of yourself, you don't think that God thinks highly of you, you don't think that you have... Um, you have poor self-esteem, whatever you might be struggling with in that domain, this might be enough for you today, that you are the bride of Christ. He looks at you and says, you are dearly loved. He looks at you and says, you are worth it. You are worth waiting for. You are everything that I created you to be. He's saying, just like a husband anticipating his bride's appearance, you're worth it. Heaven, heaven is so worth it. And then John hears, and again, the theme today is heaven. And what's this mean for us? John hears this really important announcement in verse 3. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Heaven, folks, is God with us. Emmanuel was God with us. Jesus was called Emmanuel. God with, heaven is God with us. This is what God has been working for, this new heaven and this new earth. God has been working on this ever since sin entered the world to bring the restoration, to bring the restoration, to, bring, to reclaim and to restore all things. Last week I talked about that hell is relational. Why is hell relational? Because it is the absence of God. Well, here's the good news, folks. Heaven is relational too. Heaven is relational because we will spend, those who give their life to Jesus Christ, those who repent and turn from their sin and, and make Jesus the leader and Lord of their life, will spend eternity in the presence of God, his holiness, his goodness, every single thing about him. See, life in heaven is all about an intensely personal, joyous relationship. That's what God is longed for throughout all human history. And if we're a follower of him, that's what we should be longing for too. In fact, maybe in our honest moments, we, we maybe wouldn't say this out loud, but you know, I, I'm not sure if I really want to go to heaven because it seems like kind of a, a boring place. Um, you know, and I would agree with that. I mean, some of the things I've heard or even been taught over the years, harps and and clouds, and, and ain't just sitting on a cloud playing the harp all day, and yeah, the streets of gold sound cool, and, and some of that stuff, but I'm like, it sounds kind of, just be straight up, it kind of seems lame, right? It sounds, seems like 
what is, why would I want to give up what I have now here? I have some pretty cool things here. There's awesome, it's, it's a beautiful place in many parts of the world here now. Why would I want to give that up? Here's the deal. God himself will be with them. It's that. We will spend eternity with eye-popping, blood-rushing fascination. In, in another way, and we can't put eternity into our mind because our minds are finite, but essentially every day we're going to live in amazement of seeing God do new things, discovering new things about God, experiencing God in new ways we've never experienced before, and, and living out in, for all eternity the purposes he still has for us, for the responsibilities that we're going to have in heaven. And the bottom line is that heaven is unhindered, uninterrupted worship of God. I was thinking this past week as I was preparing for the sermon, a family, a, a lady actually came to mind. Uh, her children, her two oldest were in youth ministry that I led in Michigan, and, and the two youngest were actually in, a, in the children's ministry my wife was leading. And, and the, uh, a horrific situation hap unfolded where the, the husband actually um, took the life of all four children and 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 two of them in front of her and, and uh, hurt her immensely uh, you know, with, uh, with a knife. It was just a horrific, horrific situation. And she, and, and she came back to my mind this week when I was preparing this because this is what God says he's going to do in the new heaven and the new earth. He said in verse 4, I'm going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Man, what hope. What hope. You can see why that person came to my mind. What's breaking your heart these days? What is destroying, what's causing you pain and suffering? Because when we read this and we can take God at face value, he says no more. There will be no more brokenness. There will be no more sin. There will be no more hurt. There will be no more betrayal. There will be no more death. There will be no more disease. There will be no more. In the heaven and the earth, in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more death, ladies and gentlemen. In the new earth, no more suffering, the severe trials of life. No more pain from being scarred so deeply in childhood. No more depression or sickness. No more physical disabilities. No more bitter divorces. No more fear of hearing the word cancer. No more struggle with sin. We can say goodbye to Advil. We can say goodbye to Claritin, Alka-Seltzer, and diets. You should be getting up where you are right now and saying, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more death. Because the King of kings and the Lord of lords, in verse 5, says, he was seated on the throne, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Don't let people forget about it. Every follower of Jesus Christ will be new. Nothing old, there will be nothing broken, there will be nothing twisted. God is making everything new. And here's the deal, you and I can bank on his promises. And he goes on in verse 6 and says, And then God said to me, It is done. 
It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. God is saying, I am the A and Z, Alpha and Omega were the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. I am everything. I am the beginning and the end. I am everything in between. I am the life. I am in control of all things. I am in control of history. I am in control of how things will end. I'm in charge and the redemption and the restoration will be complete someday. It will happen. Now, did you notice what is missing from this vision? White puffy clouds, harps, little angels buzzing around with wings, someone getting a bigger mansion because they were a good Christian, lush, beautiful golf courses, although they might be there in the new earth, I don't know. Folks, the image in the picture of heaven, the new heaven, the new earth, that some of us maybe have is so far off. That's not the point. Those pictures, I know they mean well. The point is there will be no more pain. There will be no more physical disabilities. There will be no more disease because he's making everything new. There will be no more brokenness. Everything will be restored the way God wanted it to be because he's in control. Sin will be no more. That's what heaven is. That's why we should hunger for it. That's why everything here in earth now, even though there's a lot of good things and cool things, it pales in comparison. It's not even close on its best day all combined to one minute in heaven. Is that what heaven's, is this the heaven you expected? <laughs> is this the heaven you've been taught about? Or have we kind of fallen for a weaker version, a pseudo version See, John wrote this vision down, this whole context as we've been talking about was to seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, going through incredible suffering, going through incredible pain, not knowing, is it worth it? Not knowing, will this survive? Not knowing, I thought God was going to win in the end. I thought Jesus Christ defeated death. What is going on? Domitian, these other emperors, they're horrible. It's getting worse, and it's not better. And God says, I'm in control. Domitian's not God. Domitian's not God. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Continue to fight the fight. Continue to battle. I said, when you, I've said this throughout the series. When you and I open up the book of Revelation, we are stepping into a battle. A battle that was occurring in that first century to those hearers of the word then. A battle that's existed throughout human history till now. A battle that's still going on. A battle that will continue. A battle that will get really bad. You can look right before in the chapters preceding chapter 21 with the culmination then of the white horse coming in. I don't have the verse on the screen, but it says, Then I saw a white, great white throne, and him who was seated on it. There will come a time when Jesus Christ comes riding in, God the Father on the throne. Joseph Stoll, uh, the former president of Moody Bible Institute, he's been president of other universities, relays the following story from a friend of his who the friend witnessed what I'm going to tell you firsthand. This friend said the pattern in the country where this guy was living is that the parents were, were murdered and then the children were persecuted and then forced into following into the Muslim faith and then sold as slaves. And the guy relays this story to his friend. He says, this guy is walking down through the capital of the country and there are about 40 kids whose parents have been killed who are standing in the town square. 40 children in the town square whose parents had been murdered. 
the mullah of the mosque comes out and he stands on a platform. And this is, this is a true story. Stands on the platform with a bullhorn, tells these kids to bow down to Allah and to repeat a prayer of conversion after him. All the kids go down except one. The kid looks to be eight or nine years old, the guy says. The mullah on the bullhorn gets angry and says, you bow down. I told you to bow down. If you don't bow down, I will kill you. This child says, and he says it loud, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I cannot bow down. The mullah motions to the guards and they plow the kid down. The kid drops dead into a pool of blood. As soon as the kid drops, eight other kids stand up. He says, I'll kill all of you. They don't move. Four of them are murdered. Finally, in anger, he says, you're not worthy of death. Sell them into slavery. Folks, this happened on our planet. Things like this are happening on our planet even as you're watching this today. Here's the trouble. In America, you and I have a more subtle and insidious challenge. No one is probably threatening your life if you don't bow down to a ruler. Our challenge, though, is bowing down to culture, bowing down to consumerism, bowing down to materialism, bowing down to comfort, bowing down to sexual impurity, bowing down to half-hearted devotion, bowing down to going through the motions of the faith without our heart in it. And so the question I want to ask as we kind of near the end today is this, what are you bowing to? What are you, maybe it's one of the things I just mentioned. Revelation 21, 8, 7, and 8 continue and say, those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolatrous, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Victorious over what? Those who are victorious. Victorious over the pressure to compromise. Victorious over the pressure to bow down to anything, to make anything higher or even on equal setting to Jesus Christ. The one who overcomes lives courageously no matter the cost. The one who is victorious pursues a holy and virtuous life. The one who overcomes is the one who will not bow down. The one who overcomes seeks peace with others and reconciles forgiveness, is generous to those in need, lives in deep relationship with others, loves with all their heart and helps those who are suffering. Get this, those who are victorious will inherit all this. The new heaven and the new earth, where there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more suffering. Can you imagine the reaction of those following Jesus in the first century who heard this? The hope that it gave them, the peace that it gave them, the comfort I've said all throughout this book of Revelation, the theme, the theme is comfort and courage. There's so many other things that we want to make into the theme. There's so many other things that are intriguing to us, and I get that. But never lose sight that the theme then and the theme now is comfort and courage to those 
who are listening. So what is your reaction today? Are you saying, I am thirsty for this God? Is that what you're saying? I'm thirsty for him. I'm thirsty for this heaven. I will not bow down to anything or anyone other than Jesus. Can you say that today? Can you say that and mean it? That Jesus Christ is number one. There will be no number two that's even close. Jesus Christ is going to be number one in my life. I want to close with this illustration. A little boy is reading a cowboy novel, and in the, in the story, things were starting to get really tense for this cowboy. The hero of the story was in serious trouble. The boy couldn't stand it anymore. He had to know what happened. So he turns to the back of the book, and he reads a great ending. And then he goes back to reading where he was before. As he reads, though, this boy finds himself saying to the cowboy hero, don't give up. If only you knew what I know. Folks, we are told by Jesus himself what we need to know. The King of kings and the Lord of lords will be victorious. We get to hear and we get to know how it ends. How's it going to change how you live today, though? Over these past six weeks, man, we have covered a lot. Man, I've learned a lot. God's spoken to me a lot. I've applied a lot to my own life. I'm hungry to learn even more, not just revelation, but learn more about God, learn more about what he wants for my life. So what's he been telling you? Is there anything that you're bowing down to? Is there anything that you're not giving over to him? What is he calling you to keep fighting for? What is he calling you to overcome? Are you tempted to compromise? Are you bowing down to someone or something? What is it? Because here we see, this is what heaven's all about. That's what heaven is. Hell is the counter opposite. No God's presence. Yes to suffering. Yes to pain. Yes to regret. Yes to anguish. Yes to all those things. In church, heaven is no more of that. And it's the presence of God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son and learning more about for all of eternity and being in his presence and experiencing everything that he wants for us for all of eternity. We know how it ends. Would you be like this boy to his cowboy hero? I want to be that to you. Keep fighting. Fight the good fight. Persevere. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't compromise. Don't turn away. Lay your whole life at his feet and continually lay his whole, your whole life at the feet of Jesus Christ and let him become your Savior and your Lord. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone watching today that they would not bow down to anyone or anything else. They would not compromise. They would be unyielding, unwavering, relentless in their pursuit after you. God, I thank you for this revelation that John wrote down. As we are challenged to continue to fight with courage and continue to realize that there will be comfort for our momentary pain and suffering. God, I, I 
I, I'm thinking of those right now who are watching who are going through incredible pain right now. And I pray that today would give them a glimmer of hope. The hope that they need to make it through today, the hope that they need to make it through, to, through tomorrow. And God, I pray if there's anyone watching right now who doesn't know you, that they would let one of our hosts know that they would make a decision for Jesus Christ today so that they could have the fullness of God here on earth and that they could have the fullness of God in in heaven for all eternity. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.